Hello everyone, welcome to the Cyber Week with the Cyber Week with the podcast which talks about cyber security. With me, Dale Gracious, your, your host, and uh, Joseph Pinolov, my co-host. Um, this week, uh, we reviewed a book. I think this book is really changing, life-changing. Uh, it's called The Worlds I See by Dr. Lee Faye. People just bombard me. Why did you? <laughs> it's the first job, even I'm failing to even finish it very well. Just pronouncing the name. So, yeah, it's Dr. Fei Fei Li. Um, she, she's a computer science major. She, she studied computer science, then she branched into AI, uh, which she did her, her doctorate on. And yeah, she, yeah, we'll get to know her uh, through uh, this review of, of, of the book. So um, the first question, which is, who is Dr. Fei Fei Li? Uh, the other thing, should uh, I answer yeah, this one? Yeah, so I can answer this one. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so Dr. Fei Fei Li, She's a renowned uh, computer scientist and she's a leading figure in uh, the field of artificial intelligence. Uh, she has, um, with reference to her book, she's someone, she's described her, her childhood and early teenage years in China as having been in China. She was born in 76. Uh, and that's where she discovered her love of physics. Um, at the age of 15, Fei Fei and her mother moved to the US uh, to join her father who had been there three years earlier and she settled in New Jersey. Uh, but the, the family had a lot faced a lot of hardships as immigrants, they couldn't speak English. Um, and her mother had a, a really bad uh, heart condition. So um, she's um, after she was able to, you know, go through all the hardships and um, managed to get accepted into Princeton University to study um, study physics. So after she earned her physics degree from uh, Princeton, she moved to California where she uh, completed her master's and PhDs uh, at California Institute of Technology. Um, and she, there she, you know, she, she was, her research was uh, mixed, a mixture of neuro, neuroscience and computer vision, which obviously have now kind of become called um, uh, AI. Uh, I mean, she's 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 considered one of the the leading figures in computer vision and how it connects to 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 AI. She has a lot of achievements. Um, I, I read somewhere where she's referred to as the godmother of AI, um, but she's also known for creating uh, one of the largest databases at the time of images called ImageNet, um, which helped to advance uh, the issue of computer vision. Um, she was a uh, uh, Sequoia Capital Professor of Computer Science at Stanford University. She was, uh, some of these facts I didn't get from the book, I also got on on, on Google. She was also a board member of Twitter. Um, uh, and she also did a, a sabbatical, during her sabbatical, she was a chief scientist um, of AI at Google, Google Cloud. Um, I think she's essentially a pioneer 
um, in computer vision and AI. Uh, her research has con really con uh, significantly contributed to the development of AI systems capable of uh, recognizing and understanding the visual world. She's also a co-director of the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence. She's a co-director at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. She's uh, she was also a co-director at the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Lab. Um, she's also she's a diversity advocate. She's uh, co-founded um, AI for All. It's a, a non-profit organization which promotes diversity and inclusion in AI, um, and it, it it promotes the representation of, of um, underrepresented groups. Um, and she's a she's a champion for AI development. She has lot many awards. Um, she's basically recognized worldwide for her leadership in and research um, in shaping uh, AI. Yeah, especially AI well, that serves humanity for the better. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's uh, Doctor about Doctor Fei Fei Li. Can you tell us um, about AI according to your perspective? What do you think AI see AI as being? Well, uh, I think uh, most people got to know about it when uh, OpenAI used ChatGPT, uh, yeah. which could, you know, uh, write text and uh, answer questions. So that's when people got to know it, but it has been there for quite some time. Uh, you find that companies like uh, Uber, or working on self-driving cars. You find companies like Google are working on image identification, which is not far from, from what uh, Dr. Feifeli worked on, which is ImageNet, uh, where it could identify people's images and or identify a particular fracture. And yeah, there are different aspects of it, from it beating a chess grandmaster so like it has been there for quite some time and uh, yes and it's revolutionary and also scary for some people and depending on whether you're an optimist or not um, yeah but yeah that's that's ai in a nutshell it helps improve um, society and solve problems that we personally couldn't so that's just the power of AI. Yeah. Though it's the fact that it is still it's in, in its kind of, could we say in fans stages that we're still figuring out exactly how to use it properly and uh, we'll push it, we say put it tilt towards. But yeah. overall, it is, it's really a good thing. Yeah. So, um, what I'm going to ask the next question. I'll <laughs> 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 uh, just waiting for you to start speaking. <laughs> Do you want me to talk about the more about yeah, AI, okay. or are you going to ask? So, uh, how does, yes. So how does the book tie into AI and Dr. Fefe's life story. 
Okay, that, that's a, a very big question, uh, to be honest, and I wasn't sure how to answer it. I'm not sure how I would answer it, but what I'll say is that the good thing with what she does in the book is that she she really okay, looks at... Go on. So, when you, when you said you're going that... to simplify, yeah. Yeah, so there are two aspects to it. One is Dr. Feifei is from a diverse background of immigrants. The fact mm -hmm. that you're an immigrant in a different country. There are also some things she talked about in the book concerning that. Then the second aspect of her, which is the professional life of AI and how she was able to achieve her goal of the different projects she worked on. So uh, I would want you to outline how those two uh, were playing a part in her life and what what you picked out of that. Okay. Um, okay, I wanted to answer the how it ties into AI by saying that she she in the book she gives a good a very good history of how sort of the history of the of AI led to where she was. And then I'll look. I'll also talk about her life story uh, and how she navigated the, the the different journeys. So the first one is how she she got involved in 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 science. I think what um, what she says in the book is that she was um, her father was she called <clears throat> excuse me when she described her father as somebody who had. Um, uh, was naturally very curious, but also she said that he was um, she like he was not a grown up, I, and I, I'm just looking for the the term that she used um, where she said um, he was um, where she an old man, a child's man. But... <laughs> yeah, was, is it? The, I'm just trying to look for the for the um, for the, the yeah the, the exact words yeah. So first of all, she said that he was one of those so curious that he would get, he would just get absorbed in observing nature. Um, she even missed her birth because he was caught up watching some birds. So he, and he lost track of time. So when he when he he gets to the hospital, she she's already been born, and then but he liked to play around with words, and then he named her Fei Fei. Fei means to fly, so he just said Fei Fei uh, to fly, but. Um, even though he was very curious, uh, her, it was her mother who gave her direction, and she she also describes the that her mother was one of those who was uh, an intellectual who was trapped in a life of imposed mediocrity. So she would have wanted to do much more with her life, but she she always had a great uh, desire to escape her circumstances, and in doing that, she read a lot of books, and she was always referring books to to Fei Fei. Um, so that made you know made that really directed her curiosity. Uh, it directed it. It gave her a sense of of um, of um, being curious beyond any any restrictions. Uh, and the same with her grandparents on her maternal side. They also allowed her to be curious to read. So she she was always um, she was she was not um, uh, allowed to 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 excel she was like she was allowed to be whatever she wanted to be uh she said that her mother expected her to work hard reach her full potential and they told her and her parents told her that um 
the efforts, the, her efforts were not in service of her teachers, of, uh, of ide ideology, but for herself. So she always had that uh, inborn curiosity. So I think that that's something that uh, carried her through the difficult times uh, that she that she faced. What what she said really helped her was when she when they moved to the U.S. She was really struggling with studies and all that. But what really helped her was her maths teacher, old uh, Mr. Sabella. Um, I think he um, he really made was like a mentor to her father figure, uh, father figure, uh, and he encouraged her to you know to excel where 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 she would have not otherwise gave her that confidence of of. Because even though he wasn't an immigrant himself, but he, she said that he felt she felt that he gave her the confidence to, he recognized saw her actually saw her, and gave her the confidence to you know to to learn her English better to improve, push her beyond you know what she would have otherwise done. So she she's those are her people who really helped her. I think um, it he also helped her introduce her to life in America as outside of being an immigrant because she was living, they were living in a very difficult circumstances. I think a very small place sharing like, an, uh, you know, close quarters with her parents, but he introduced her to what life, um, what American life is like, you know, by having going over to his place for dinner and all that. So that, that I think helped her. And I think having that confidence and being pushed by her mother, her parents, uh, and having a natural curiosity really pushed her to, to to excel. And I think once she started excelling, she met mentors who who didn't see her for being for the fact that she was an immigrant, but for the fact that she was curious. They had this shared curiosity in physics um, and and what have you. So that that really helped her. Um, in um, in terms of how she got into AI, I think having you know, she she talks a lot about the history of AI and how it was first discovered. In her journey to working towards computer vision, she um, she talks about um, the history of AI um, and, and how it started as um, as um, um, I think it was a very small research paper that started looking at how you could. Um, how you could, I think it was the fascination with the human brain. Is it possible to replicate what the human brain does in in a mathematical, in a computational way? I think that's what that that's what it started as. Um, and the AI started with um, what you you know what you you term expert systems, where uh, you had the systems which had access to a lot of data, but specialized data, and were able to 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 access that data, but based on a specializing of domain. But these these systems were very much rule based systems because they were you know they were they were very fixed and machine like. So they they didn't they lacked the concept of of a human intelligence because they were just they were just like machines, um, and 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 I think they also lacked access to data. So from then on came the, the the concept of neural networks, and neural networks uh, was first applied to human writing. So with that, it was training the the networks to 
to look by by looking a lot of data of human writing and then inferring patterns from that so that when exposed to new instances of human writing they were able to use the knowledge gained from the from the previous uh, from the data sets they were exposed to um and that and that became uh, known as machine learning um i think all that evolved um but what what happened what, what at that stage the 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 uh the limitations were based still a little bit of machine learning but the limitations were mainly data so as she does does all these studies and, and she talks about this she realized that um that a lot of these systems were looking at um decision making pattern recognition language processing but the the vision part was was missing um she did a project at uh, UC Berkeley during the summer while she was still at Princeton, where they they tried to study how the brain and the vision, how vision and brain and the brain works by by looking at how a cat uh, by by trying to recreate the activity the brain activities of a cat using a noise. So you'd a cat a cat would be exposed to to images. They they had machines and electrodes which would pick up the activity in the brain. So from that activity, they then try to recreate the visual image that the cat was seeing. And she realized that uh, that what she really wanted to do was to see how can we uh, make computers, make vision, computer vision central to intelligence. Because what she realized was that vision really is, is a brain's ability to, it's, it's a knowledge for the brain because when you look at something, you you're getting knowledge by just looking at it. You know the the brain is doing a lot, but it's ultimately the knowledge uh, the knowledge base of the brain, and that is when she discovered that she wanted to work in computer vision. So so that's the background of of how she how the how the history how how um, her her early life and her mentors and all that led her to to where she was. So I hope that answers the question. So now I'm asking you. Mm -hmm. So I gave you a hint I was of. Oh, the joke you talking. I even did think of. No, that one can't happen. You're not getting away with it. Okay, so, uh, all right. So, uh, so what's ImageNet? So, uh, ImageNet is a child of. Uh, should I call it a child of Doctor Fefebi? Uh, it's a project which they worked on, which um, required uh, a huge data set, uh, which was basically to ensure that computers could start to work the way human beings work, to be able to picture. Uh, if you give it a particular picture, it will be able to know that this is a person. It will be knowing that this what is in the background it will be able to pick it up so that uh, is basically uh, what ImageNet was supposed to do and that's what it was able to achieve obviously with a lot of pitfalls especially when it came to using human beings to to curate the information for the data uh, to be used so meaning that the initial thing was actually 19 years to actually the information, but yeah, they were able to to turn it into few few months. 
go here or two. See, yes, yeah. So there is a thirty-six. The way my answers are short at this size makes me feel like. A... <laughs> makes you feel like. Like 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 I read half the book. <laughs> <laughs> but you read it, so. <laughs> so anyway. yeah. So yeah, that is images. Okay. So I was even waiting for you again to ask. As <laughs> you need to get to, you need to get into this rhythm. It's answer yeah. and ask. Yeah. <laughs> answer ask. Yes. Like that. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So uh, how did crowdsourcing benefit this project? Um, okay. Yeah. So um. When they initially built ImageNet, I think it had uh, it had one hundred and one categories of of data, of images, should we say? And and uh, I think they had like nine thousand or something label, labeled images. Um, after a while, though, the performance of of the of the of the algorithms were not getting any better, and she and Dr. Fei Fei Dr. Lee realized that the algorithms were overfitting. Uh, with what what was there, no matter how cleverly designed they were. So, so even if the, you trained the algorithms on ImageNet, if you exposed the algorithms to new images, they were not doing very well, and they were not able to generalize uh, sufficiently well. So they felt that if the data set grew bigger then the capabilities of the algorithms would also grow bigger and that 101 categories were definitely not enough. Uh, she read a paper by Biedermann, which was published in 1983, which, which attempted to ask the question, how many unique categories of things exist in the world? When she did her computation, she realized that that, that category was around 30,000. So, and then she became obsessed with that number. So she then came across WordNet. It was a database of 140,000 words, which were organized in relation to each other. So words like things were grouped together. Not not uh, it wasn't based on alphabet, but grouped together. So you know types of dogs would be grouped together, uh, things like that. Um, and then she also came across a project called ImageNet, which um, which had attempted to to um, illustrate every concept in WordNet with a simple a simple visual example, so like a, a photo diagram. So she borrowed that name ImageNet. And then when, when they then started looking at um, WordNet and the 140,000, they realized 140,000 was just too big a, a number. Um, so, so after trimming down you know, non-essentials, they, they ended up with 22,000 subnets. For ImageNet, of course, that was at the time that was a big, 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 big number. Um, uh, and I remember the year was two thousand and seven. So they hired uh, students to 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 download and label the images. Uh, but when at the speed this they were going, they realized it would take around nineteen years to complete. Uh, they didn't have that time and they didn't have that money. So they kind of re tried to re-engineer the process, improve the downloads, the labeling, but even that would just cut the time down to, to 18 years. Uh, too slow and it had too many uh, uh, skeptics. So they kind of got the solution a little bit with ImageNet. Uh, 
Now, when one of her students told her about um, Amazon, uh, Amazon had a, a crowdsourcing platform called um, Mechanical Turk or AMT, um, which had teams of remote ad hoc uh, workforces that could range from a few contributors to millions of teams automating you know, any process across the world. She realized that there was an opportunity there. So, um, and, and, and it was built, um, it's, it's a, the concept was built around uh, allowing people to advertise for human intelligence tasks. So that was essentially crowd, uh, crowd, um, how, how, how her journey to crowdsourcing began. So they started with a, an international team of thousands um, and they were able to com com compute, uh, sorry, they were able to complete the, the labeling and download of images to one year. So project that started in, in, in 27, 2007 was completed in 2009. Yeah, so that, that is how the, um, the, the, the crowdsourcing concepts uh, came to her. And 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 um, the image the image database has enabled um, um, a lot of deep learning to to happen from a competition that she was held every I think she started a yearly competition um, for people to 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 mine to use the image net to develop their networks and and and, and what and and, and AI, AI intelligence yeah so um, so what do we then pick from human learning that enables the building of AI? What can we pick from that? So, um, now for this, uh, the book helped with, um, with that idea of, of answering this question. And, but I also watched a TED talk, which she further explained this. She gave an example of an illustration of a cat, a cat which is, you know, standing. I think I'll share that. Image. So now this cut, if we share a cut like when it is standing, it's not the same as when it is lying down. It's not the same as when it is folded. You know, cuts are always different, you know, angles. I don't know how gymnastic they are, but literally they every angle. So yeah. now if you if you use the old methodology of, of, of gathering information about it, you always think that it's on a, a standing cut, which is a cut. And which is not the case. So when they were crowdsourcing and all that, they, they had to come up with a, a new form of, you know, using neuro, neuroscience to be able to now, you know, start uh, aggregating information. So that's now able to pick up the information uh, from those different pictures to start to learn that this is actually a cut, not, not something else. And if it was a sure it, it would just categorize it as an animal. So yeah, that 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 whole aspect of it uh, is what 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 they picked out of human beings because they noticed when it comes to even picking up things, it's the same idea when they are not sure of something, they give a, an approximate of, of it. And when kids are growing up, they see multiple, you know, versions of the same thing, and they're able to now start attributing that to, to that particular, and so yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. So now when it comes to so you wanted to add something to that? No, just I was just agreeing that yeah, it, I, I think a lot of learning is about how humans learn, how babies learn. That it's they learn uh, by observing and by interacting and all that. But they have a, ba a build a base like a foundation of learning which they build on top. So yeah, and so and, and from there they can you know learn from patterns and all that. Yeah. So yeah, no, I agree. So now, um, when it comes to to AI biases, so uh, tell us a bit more about it and how uh, Dr. Faithfully talks about it in her book. Okay, so um, I think AI, AI bias is based on um, because there's two aspects of, uh, of bias. There is bias on uh, of the algorithms and bias of the data. So um, the, the data that they um, that is collected is is what the machine learns on. So if your data is skewed towards um, male, white males, especially for instance, if 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 the concept of an of an engineer or or a learned person is always a white male, that is what the algorithm is going to learn. And if if the person writing the algorithm only sees that the the perspective of of their only sees their perspective, then it's going to learn, it's going to learn based on the person who's written the algorithm. So there's those two aspects. Um, she also realized that there were obviously there was the, the example of um, of uh, I can't remember which algorithm it was which looked at a woman, a black woman, and categorized her as a gorilla. Because was, uh, the Google one, Google one, yes, Google at the very beginning, um, and then there've been biases also with other uh, things where because of the data sets and because of the the people who have written them, the the bias will then discriminate, um, you know, people who who are different from from the data from the people who are writing the algorithms. Um, so yeah, so it's it's the the training data is biased. So um, I think. Uh, what she realized as well that was that even in in her in image that there was a lot of biases. So they started looking and saying, okay, where is our bias? And replacing images which were much more representative of the world around us. Yeah. Of course, uh, apart from the uh, data being biased or the algorithms being biased, um, uh, there's also the the concept of of human human bias because. It's a process through so humans who are doing everything else, you know, from the data collection to the model. So unintentionally, uh, they will they will do things which, even though they don't, they are not conscious of it. They will do things which they prefer to do. Um, so that that is how it, it incorporates into the bias. Of course, um, it, it then touches on the ethics or ethics of these systems, uh, because if if you have um, Algorithms which which discriminate based on how you look, uh, and if you have algorithms, you know, like facial al recognition al algorithms, that 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 is that is not good for for those those communities and individuals who are biased against, um, and it continues to you know exacerbate the existing inequalities that are there, uh, and and that that means that those those um, algorithms are not going to have 
are not going to have, um, are not going to be trusted. Now, the biggest concern with these thing, things is, is that a lot of companies are using algorithms, especially for things like recruitment. Now, if you imagine uh, an algorithm that is biased based on how you how your name looks, it, you know, if it's if it's always if it's biasing based on only a limited uh, set of qualifications or a limited uh, data set of universities, so that if you you present your CV and you're from Makerere, for instance, it doesn't know <laughs> Makerere exists. It's like this one is not a valid in terms of a degree. Or if he sees your name or Keller, it's like, what? Is this a real name? It's, it doesn't look like a name that I've seen before. So I think those are the concerns that there's so much that the uh, AI has become a tool to be used a lot in, in industries and organizations. So the more, there are a lot more implicit biases that perhaps are not, uh, that continue to, um, to continue to, to, to create to continue with the discrimination. And we should be in a stage in the world where there's less discrimination, but because now we're using tools which are biased, then those uh, biases become much more in, um, implicit. Um, I think it's important that there are regulations around it, um, that the data sets become much more diverse, much more representative. Uh, algorithms are scrutinized for fairness, uh, and there's enough human oversight to explain, you know, to 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 ensure that the biases are not are not there, uh, at least are reduced to a certain extent. Yeah. But it's it's something that will that is has to be governed better. Okay, so on on to, on to the next question. Then, uh, do you see the world of AI self-driving cars changing? Yes. Um... That's a good question. Uh, I will use the, the the same things Dr. Fetter Lee said in uh, her book, Therefore, the party when, when she was introducing her book at Stanford. Uh, she, she talked about that exact thing. Well, yes, yes. Uh, in terms of, of, of cars, uh, there's this aspect of ensuring that the, the algorithm and the data sets are enough to be able to, when a toddler is actually on the road, is able to pick it up. Uh, if there's a person, if there's a, a stone, is able to pick it up and not exactly a stone, not a, 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 a scrambled paper. So there are those aspects which, which needs to be sorted out. But in terms of uh, it again find that when you trust the AI to 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 drive, it will do a better job in terms of reducing the amount of accidents. Because trust me, some people will start taking alcohol, then they will start driving, and and in terms of safety, that wouldn't be a very effective method. Or some people who are elderly you find that they would still want to drive but at the same time the fact that they can't drive well at night that will also be challenging so air will be able to bridge that gap but uh, there's also this aspect of uh, 
the pessimists that we talk about them also. So there is that aspect of the fear that such uh, things would happen where somehow we not because of, of such incidences like the the Uber incident. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely, you know, they give the aspect of, uh, of when it comes to technology, there is a good and a bad, and, and it keeps on evolving. But still, as a good. Uh, an example of, of it would be the the aspect of uh, of she gave an ex example of technology is is usually a lot for for people, but the aspect of it is she gave was. Of the way the atomic bomb happened, then nuclear power came about. And yes, there's that aspect of there's the, the good, the bad aspect of it, but the good always comes out. So you need to trust in the human general good in order for us to, to push through and be able to, to actually see this happen in the future. So Yes, that's 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 my opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, I agree that it's difficult to to hold back uh, an advance, technology advances, even if you wanted to. It's going to happen. Uh, I think what's important is how how it happens and and having a balance between the human and the machine. I think self-drive cars, yes, you're right, would probably reduce accidents, but they don't have the intelligence always. To, to react to something that is unexpected. So, you know, something suddenly happens and not read, what will they do? I think having the human element is is is, is like having your being a co-driver with your self-drive car would probably be something. And I think being able to make uh, ethical decisions is something that would be a difficult one for them. So for instance, if uh, if they have a choice between hitting someone or swerving into to an oncoming traffic, what kind of decision would they make? Um, so I think, you know, it is how you manage it, I think is important. And I, and I, and I do think well, the, the lessons, we have to learn from the, 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 the mistakes, like the Uber mistakes, where a lady was tragically killed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's gonna be difficult to, to, to hold it back. But um, making sure the ethical concerns are addressed, as well as making sure that the regulations are addressed, will definitely help. Yeah. Seems you already changed to the next question. Just finish. <laughs> um. What was the next question? So about regulators. Oh yeah, regulation. Oh. Yes. Um. Yeah. Of course, it's important to regulate. Um. I was trying to look look at this and see what regulations are available because I, I have come across regulations um like within within the uk they've got a framework for, for AI regulation um where they've they've basically looked at uh some kind of framework which is which which cuts across sectors but also it's out, outcome based so it includes principles of safety uh security transfer transparency fairness accountability and governance um, I think most of the frameworks are still very much works in progress and responding to what happens in AI, I think. It's trying to catch up essentially to, to regulation. Um, 
uh, I think there's also EU. The EU also has an AI Act. Um, I think it's it's trying to make sure that AI is is inclusive. I think one of the the examples that uh, what what Dr. Dr. Lee is really looking at is, um, is is essentially saying um, what she's realized with with the AI and the development of AI is that it's becoming a little bit of um, even though it started in, in academia, it's been taken up by technology giants and it's becoming um, entitled, not entitlement, privileged, like a privilege to a few. Um, and I think the few privilege will develop solutions which are supposed to be used by everybody. But if they don't address the inherent biases that are there from solution from the solutions that they few who have developed then it's going to be a real uh really bad for society so that's what that had been her concern and i think regulation is going to definitely help help uh i mean help the world uh as as we make sure that it's it's much more fairer much more transparent um and less you know and the ethical concerns are addressed yeah Yeah, there's definitely a lot to unfold when it comes to this topic. And, uh, yeah. But uh, the key takeaway for me from this talk is, is um, technology is, is part of life and we need to evolve and improve it and work together to work on how to regulate it. And these improvements will, will help us we use it well because technology, remember, is a tool. So you have to ensure that you use it well to your benefit. And there are many ways of using this technology to your benefit. So let's use ChatGPT to our benefit by asking it how do we use it here? <laughs> how do we use it effectively? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think that's this would be my point. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think as the, the the people who are rolling out this technology need to do is make sure that it is helping humans and not 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 disadvantaging them. Um, you know, we know the implications of of AI. If you start having self drive cars, uh, what's what will what will be the impact on on taxi drivers and people who have cars? So all the impacts need to be make uh, managed better and. Uh, all these companies that are adopting it need to be sensitive to that. Um, and and I want to read her quote, uh, which she's um, that I want to end on. She says that uh, she's convinced that the true impact of AI on the world would, would be largely determined by the motivation that guided the development of the technology, and that the vision for AI should explicitly include a positive impact on humans and communities, and that the AI, AI could change the world for the better. And I think that ultimately is what should happen. So, yeah, that's it from me. Okay, with that, I'll end the podcast there. <laughs> <laughs>